Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio. This is show number 450 and we're going to be talking today about mental shifts and fundamentals that boost confidence. A little bit about Engage for Success for the new listeners. We are a not-for-profit movement and we're the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country as well as our topic and sector Uh, specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. Do visit us at engageforsuccess.org where you can learn more and also sign up for our weekly newsletter full of all good things. I'm Jo Moffitt. I'm one of the regular hosts of Engage for Success Radio. Um, And in my day job, I'm managing director and founder of Woodread. Uh, Woodread's a specialist creative agency and we use the tools and the techniques and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. So today's show, uh, as I say, number 450, uh, around mental shifts and fundamentals that boost confidence, is going to be talking about how we can transform ordinary managers into extraordinary ones. And I'm very pleased to welcome, as our special guest to help us navigate that topic, uh, Joel Trammell. Joel is founder and CEO of Chorus Systems, and he's a leading CEO educator. Uh, So, Joel, welcome to Engage for Success Radio. Great to be with you today, Jim. Well, it's lovely to have you too. And, and just reading your, your bio, I'm going to ask you just to tell us a little bit about yourself in a minute, but you've certainly got um, a, a wealth of experience, which I'm going to try and draw out of you in just 30 minutes. So um, that's probably going to be a bit of a challenge. But tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and, and, and your, your background, if you would. Sure. Uh, so I started my first business uh, a little over 30 years ago. Uh, pretty quickly became unqualified to do anything else, so you better figure out a way to make it work. And uh, as a kind of lifelong learner, uh, I've spent my time uh, running organizations and really digging into kind of what makes organizations work well. And so I built a couple of software companies uh, from the ground up that we sold and then uh, ended up being doing some board work, uh, being CEO of a public company uh, and CEO of a couple of other private companies. So I've had a lot of experience in the CEO chair trying to figure out how to make organizations work well. Okay, right. So lots lots of, of relevant information and expertise to share with us today, I'm sure. And, and for those who perhaps are new to listening to Engage for Success, one of the things that we as a movement have, have identified 10 years ago in the original piece of research that kicked off the Engage for Success movement was what we call the four enablers of an engaged workforce. And two of those are very, very relevant to what we're going to be talking about with you today, Joel. The first one is around the important role of leadership, having senior leaders who can um, share a strong strategic narrative about the organization, where it's come from and where it's going. So that's very much all around purpose, but it's around the role of the leadership team in, 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 in articulating that. The second enabler is around the role of the line manager, um, line managers who can coach their people, who can stretch, who can motivate and encourage them rather than 
kind of micromanaging them to death. So the, the role of the line manager very much as a developer of their teams and developers of their people. So um, I'm sure that um, we're going to have a lot that will that will play to those um, in our conversation over the next sort of uh, 20, 26 minutes or so. So um, I was I wanted we, we're going to talk um, particularly about some of these mental shifts and fundamentals. But before we do that, you've, you've been doing this for a long time, and I know that one of looking looking one of the things you did, you were you were involved with the U.S. Navy's nuclear power school, which I think sounded rather intriguing. So I just wanted to ask you before we get into the nitty gritty of today, if you think about your Navy background uh, and and team leaders, managers, people leaders in in that service context versus managers and people leaders and people team leaders in a civilian context how does that practice differ if indeed it, it does at all yeah the, the navy experience was uh, certainly formative for me uh, the job i had was teaching uh, at an engineering school nuclear power school and mm -hmm. uh, that teaching was was certainly very helpful learning that skill uh, and useful throughout my career in management uh, and I found that, I mean, people are people, and uh, uh, a lot of times we think the uh, military service uh, uses a very command and control structure that, you know, the general gives orders and everybody just follows the orders. And, of course, uh, that's not reality. Uh, people are mm. people, and you have to lead and uh, explain the whys and explain the vision and and do all the same things that you do in the civilian world. Now, obviously, if you're in the middle of a firefight in battle, uh, that uh, management leadership model might change some. But but day-to-day -day activities, I don't think there's a lot of difference between a military-style uh, uh, leadership and a, and a good civilian-style leadership. Yeah, you still have to take your people with you, don't you, in, in either <laughs> context. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. I mean, I think it is a it is a misconception that a lot of people have, isn't it, that that any kind of military environment is simply command and control, and you tell people to jump and they ask how high, and uh, it, you know, it clearly clearly. They wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sadly not. Okay, so you you've been doing what you're doing now for for thirty odd years. You've done, as you say, you 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 gave us a bit of an overview at the start. Clearly, the last two years, nearly you know, two years, just over two years, has been um, a two years that none of us ever imagined we would have to deal with in terms of the, the global pandemic and the impact of that on many people's workplaces. Um, and now that people are returning to the workplace and there is this increasing um, emphasis on the hybrid workplace, and, and clearly, I'm not talking here about people in frontline operational roles or retail or energy or caring roles where they really can't do those things in a more hybrid or flexible way. But if we, if we think about those organizations and businesses who have embraced and have had to embrace hybrid, what would you... What do you see as the difference between a manager, a people manager in a post-pandemic world and a manager you know, before 2020? What's, what's changed for people managers, Joel? Yeah, it certainly was an unexpected change for many people. And it, it really emphasizes the importance of being kind of structured and, and uh, more formal in communications. 
making mm-hmm. sure you have certain management processes in place, uh, things like do you regularly meet with your employees. In the past, uh, maybe you didn't have a scheduled one-on-one each week with your employees, but you passed them in the hall, you went out to lunch, you saw them in the break room, and so you had a lot of the informal conversations uh, that, that w- would happen in that kind of environment. Uh, fast mm-hmm. forward to today, where you may go weeks without seeing that person physically in the same location. And so putting in place a you know, formal uh, structure where, yes, every week we're going to meet for 30 minutes and talk about things. Uh, communication becomes much more important because people don't hear things through the hallways, through the, at the water mm-hmm. cooler. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to communicate a lot more than you did in the previous environment. Yes, yes. So you've got to be that much more intentional about what you're doing and actually you can't just wait for serendipity and know that things will get caught up in that. You've actually got to actively, as you say, put structures and processes in place. Yes, and the, the, the second thing is I think you have to understand your people better. Um, mm-hmm. When they're in the office, you can observe kind of how they're doing uh, with mm-hmm. uh, if you're paying attention. Uh, but when they're remote, uh, you're, you're not going to be able to pick up on those cues as well. And so, you know, understanding the unique factors that each of your people bring to the work, uh, where their what their definition of success in the workplace is, where they want to go in their career, uh, these are things that you're going to have to explore much more formally uh, than maybe mm-hmm. you did uh, in the previous environment. Yeah, yeah. And and those those skills are those something that in your experience of, of the, the many years you've been doing this, those, those people skills, those softer skills, those more empathetic skills, are those, are those the most important thing that a new manager needs to, needs to learn and acquire, or, or are there other things that, uh, that come first? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, understanding, you know, typically when a manager gets put into to a position, their first thought is, oh, well, this shouldn't be too difficult. I just need to treat people the way I want to be treated. Uh, and that's great if you're managing 10 clones of yourself. <laughs> but pretty quickly, uh, in most management positions, people realize that, no, everyone is unique, uh, has different personalities, their values are different, that leads to what they believe success is for them can be very different, and therefore, treating each person how they would like to be treated is the bar that you really need to strive for. And of course, that is much, much more difficult than treating people the way we want to be treated. We know ourselves very well. We don't know others near as well. So one of the first things that I introduce into organizations is do you even have a language to talk about people? Uh, Most of us went to university, uh, studied a field, and, and one of the things when you study a new field is you're introduced to a language and you define terms and I was an electrical engineer for example and so there was a point in my career I could have told you what resistance and capacitance and impedance and all these things mean I could have written mathematical equations about all of them but if you had asked me about a friend of mine maybe somebody that was very close friend of mine that I had spent a lot of time with if you had said take out a blank sheet of paper and describe that person to me who I've never met in a way that I could understand their behavior, I would have not had the vocabulary to talk about. It. So one of the things I'm big about is introducing to teams 
uh, a vocabulary to talk about people, using behavioral assessments, using psychology uh, terms to explain to people behavior so that we even have a language to talk about the differences among people. And I guess if you can do that, that then gives you a common language that means when you talk to someone else about that person or about the performance of that team, they understand what you're talking about. So you're not, you're talking about a consistent, you're not just talking about a language for you as a manager to use about your own people. You're, you're talking about a, a vocabulary that is commonly understood within your organization. Exactly. Because, you know, people are our most important asset, right? Uh, you hear sure. that all the time. Uh, if they are, then we certainly need to know a lot about them, uh, and we need to be able to talk about them in a non-judgmental way that describes mm. uh, typical behaviors that humans exhibit. Absolutely. Now that that makes sense for sure. Okay. Well, look. Let's. Um, thank you, Joel. That's that's an interesting interesting start point for us. So let, let's let's talk about the mental shifts and fundamentals that can transform an ordinary manager into an extraordinary one that will boost their confidence and make them really sort of move on to another level uh, it, uh, we've 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 only got 20 just over 20 minutes um to encapsulate that um but what would be the kind of key things that you uh, you would wish to you know where would you start on that conversation yeah i think the first you know mental model shift i i try to get new managers to make is a lot of times a new manager is selected as the manager because they were very good and excelled at their individual contributor position. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they're maybe not very experienced. They've worked for a few years. They've been very good at their job. And so when they're made a manager, their first thought is kind of, oh, I was so good at my job that the company has now given me some helpers that can help me do my job even better. And I call this kind of the Santa and the elves model of management. They think of themselves as Santa. Santa gets to do all the, the good stuff. He gets to visit with the kids, gets to take the pictures, gets to eat the cookies, while the elves are back at the shop doing kind of all the dirty work, right? Making sure yeah, the presents yeah. are ready, packing the sleigh, uh, feeding the reindeer, and, and, and whatever. And uh, that yeah. model, uh, of course, doesn't scale and doesn't leverage the value of your people. And so I tell people, instead of the Santa and the Elves model and thinking that you're the star of the show and those people are to help you, switch it around and think about the role of an orchestra conductor as your mental model. Uh, the first thing you might notice about an orchestra conductor is they're actually facing away from the audience. So they are not the center of attention uh, for the audience. The purpose of the orchestra conductor is to ensure that the performance of the ensemble is as good as possible every time they take the stage. And, you know, the interesting thing, an orchestra conductor was probably a very good musician at some period in their career. They may even today be a better third chair violinist than the violinist they have in place, but no one would expect the orchestra conductor to uh, stop the show, sit in the third chair violin seat, and start playing violin, right? Uh, but that's what a lot. That's the way a lot of managers think about the job. They think I'm better at this, so I need to do all of this. Instead of how do I assemble a team that, because there are five of them or eight of them, whatever, uh, we can accomplish far more than I could accomplish as an individual. 
Mm-hmm. I love that analogy. I think it's fabulous, Joel. I, you know, it's such a simple concept to get your head around, isn't it? Really, that we're not Santa and his elves. We we are instead um, an orchestra conductor, and that, and yeah, facing away from the audience. I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but yeah, very, absolutely right for sure. And and that's something people. You're right. People often get promoted into management roles, especially their first management role, their first team leader role or, 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 or whatever, um, because they're good at coding or they've sold the most or they're good at accounts work. You know, it's not, they're not promoted to a management role because they're necessarily demonstrating the people skills. That's right. They, they you know, management skills and individual contributor skills are very different. Now, you know, if you have 10 people, you probably don't want to take the worst person in the group and make them the manager. Uh, the manager obviously needs to be competent at the task that he's managing, um, but she may not be the most competent person at the task that, that, that they are managing. Um, you know, often it's the second or third most competent person who exhibits more of the skills related to management uh, than that top performer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, that that all that all chimes with me for sure. Okay. So, what what's what would be the next thing that we need to think about? Well, then I think you know it leads to the what are these skills of management? Um, how mm-hmm. would you select someone and say, oh, that person's likely to be a, a better manager? And because we are dealing with people, you know, I think the number one skill is communication skills. Um, are they someone who communicates well? Uh, one of the lines I use that often causes new managers' eyes to kind of open bright is I say, you realize as someone's manager, you are probably the first or second most impactful person in their life. And yeah. because of that, your communication with them, your willingness to listen to them, to show them respect in the communication process is really, really important because the people that are important to us in our life we want them to show respect by listening to what we have to say, not necessarily agreeing with everything we have to say or doing everything we say, but certainly being able to have an open, honest dialogue and feel like the other person respects their input. Hmm. Now, how do people respond when you, when you tell them that, Joel? Do they, do they clear that it's not something that they've thought about before, that they could be... The, the, the second or the, even the first in some industries, most important person in their team, the individuals who make up their team's lives. Is it, is it a bit of a, like a ra- you know, kind of um, radical insight that they haven't really thought about before? Yes, because I think you know, most managers are thinking about it from their perspective, and if they have 10 employees they're managing, obviously no one of those 10 is the most impactful person in their life. They, they've got their own boss. They've got their own spouse. They've got their own peers in the organization that may be yeah. just as important. Uh, and so it's an asymmetrical relationship, and uh, that's what is kind of different about it. Like in our spousal relationship, we expect that to be symmetric. We expect both sides to give relatively equally of their time. Obviously, a manager can't give as much time to an individual employee as they might like when you have 10 employees reporting to you. And so when Mm -hmm. you do give time, it's really important that you treat that time as very special. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Um, righto. So we're an orchestra conductor. We are... 
recognising the important responsibility of our role um, and um, honing our communication skills to make sure that we give that individual quality interaction, quality listening time, quality, you know, quality input um, that, to help them be the best they can be. Okay, righto. And what else do I need to become extraordinary? Well, I think you need to think about what motivates your people once they're in the workplace. Um, and I think this is, you know, often very misunderstood when I talk to large groups. If I just throw up the question, what motivates people, uh, almost invariably someone is going to ask, answer money. Uh, and while money is certainly might uh, motivate people to take a particular job and choose between jobs, uh, once a person is in a job, that's not what gets them excited about coming to work every day. Uh, I once did uh, 252 interviews in a 12-month period to hire 100 people, and I would always ask people what had been their favorite day at work at their favorite job. And it was interesting that the answers were very consistent. It was almost always somebody told me uh, that their favorite day at work was the day they or they and their team had achieved something that no one else thought in the organization thought could be achieved or was difficult to achieve, or how they or they and their team were recognized for achieving something that was difficult. And so those are the two real motivators for people at work. People want to win. They want to achieve things. Uh, they want to have success. They want to feel like they're part of a winning team, and they want to be recognized for that. And those two things are very important for managers to think about. I get to define the goals in the organizations. I get to give people the chance to win. I get to keep the scorecard for winning. And, of course, I can recognize my employees. I don't have to call headquarters to say thank mm -hmm. you. I don't have to call headquarters to write a thank you note. I don't have to call headquarters to call somebody out in the meeting and tell everybody what a great job they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And so those two things are the two most important things from a motivational perspective for most employees. Yeah, yeah. That the power of of that recognition and of that recognition that doesn't have to be accompanied by um, authorized expenditure. Um, the power of the unsolicited thank you. The the power of picking up with someone after a meeting and saying, actually, you know, your contribution in that was fabulous. Well done. Is is um, unimaginable, really, isn't it? Yes, and, and again, back to our orchestra conductor model, of course, they, you know, recognize the team uh, when the applause starts, right? I mean, that's, uh, and so you're always, look as a good manager, you're always looking for opportunities to get your team recognized. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, so there's no room in our world um, for people who say, oh, you know, they're just doing their job. Why do I need to recognize them for it? That's what they're paid for. Yes, uh, certainly some people may have that attitude. Uh, I don't think they're going to be very successful, uh, certainly not in the current labor environment, at least the, the labor environment we have in the United States where people are very difficult to find. They've uh, been yeah. given the opportunity to live anywhere in the country they want to live and do jobs remotely. Uh, and mm -hmm. so the good people have lots of choices, uh, and they're just not going to be very excited about working in an environment that doesn't have opportunities for them to win and doesn't have opportunities for recognition. Yes, 
Yes, We've, we are facing a very similar situation in the UK as well. Uh, record number of vacancies, um, it, it, over over a million, um, and that's that's you know not been known before. So we're facing the same challenges. So organisations and and by definition the the people within them, the leaders, the people who are looking to recruit and retain talent, have got to have got to up their game, haven't they? If they're going to uh, retain the best talent and and um, get the most out of that talent. And when you talk about retention, the number one reason people leave jobs is because of their direct manager. Uh, yeah. You know, we often say people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And yeah. so what are you doing as an organization to make sure your managers are top notch? Because that can be a huge competitive advantage for you. Uh, if yeah. your managers are better than your competitors' managers, you're going to have far less retention issues and the costs of, of replacing teammates is, you know, astronomical. And so mm -hmm. just on that one issue alone, not to mention increased productivity and many other things that you'll get from having better managers, uh, you should be focused on that issue of are your managers good managers? Have you trained them? Do they have any uh, system in place to help them manage better? Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I know that you've um, you've written or you've contributed content to Forbes magazine uh, in the past, Joel. And I think there's a, there's a wonderful quote from Forbes. It's a, it's a few years old now, but it was a survey that um, I often cite when I'm doing, doing work in the UK because it's just such a wonderful what just such a wonderful soundbite. And it was a survey that Forbes reported on, um, which said that. And I think I've got this right. Something like 60% of Americans surveyed said they would rather have a new boss than a pay rise. <laughs> yes, that that, uh, that probably is has been true. Yes, because you know, in most organizations, they have spent zero time trying to improve the skills of their managers. Yeah. Uh, yes. While they, you so know, expect you... a university degree to hire them in the first place and expertise, mm. you know, demonstrated expertise in the particular skill or job, they mm. spend no time uh, on the management skill. Mm. So, so given that um, you was you were saying, you know, one of the um, the key thing when you when you with, with managers in the in the hybrid world is that they need to be that much more intentional about how they're interacting and managing their people and their teams. If we pick up on this point that we're just talking about now, from an organizational perspective, from an HR perspective, from a learning and development perspective, is it the, is the onus on the organization, the company, to actually put in place a much more formalized program of support for their manager cohort, would you say? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, one of the key roles uh, of HR, and uh, again, because most people are trained for the individual roles, so training for the individual roles is, is either done in university or, or you know, programs, uh, technical programs have been in industry for a long time to train specific functional things but very little training goes on in the management arena. And uh, because of that, that to me is, as the organization grows, really the strength of the organization is the strength of your management team. Yes, yeah. So for people listening, you're either in a, we, people listening may either be in a management role themselves, in which case what they're, what they're drawing from this is, is, is good stuff for their own practice. But for those listening who are in a, in a role where they have the opportunity to invest in 
management training programs, career long-term career development pathways to help support people at each stage of their development and make them better managers and ultimately through to sort of leadership. Um, these are all things that need to be thought about in a very intentional and planned way rather than just ad hoc, really. And it takes time, uh, just like yeah. learning any skill. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I could stand and tell you a bunch of things about management, but we have to take those conscious things I tell you and turn them into unconscious behaviors that you're repeating over and over again. And that takes yes. time and effort. Yeah, yeah. It takes time for them to become almost the sort of thing that you do without thinking about it, really. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Joel, we've... We've only got um, just over a minute left. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the, our conversation, but in the minute that we have remaining, um, are there are there is there one one key thing that you would like to share with our listeners that you feel we haven't managed to touch on yet? Well, I think you know, kind of day to day, I say most managers spend way too much time trying to figure out what they should do in their group, and not near enough time trying to figure out how to get their group to do it well. Right, right. And okay. if you can spend a lot more time on getting your group to do things well, uh, the what will take care of itself. Okay, now that, that makes sense. Um, and do you do that alone? Do you shut yourself in a way in a darkened room and work that out? Or how do you, know, how do you, how do you work out how to, how to do it well? Uh, yeah, well, maybe that's our next session, but uh, <laughs> that, that requires understanding people, certainly, and uh, that's probably where you should start, is trying to better understand people and their motivations and behaviors. And their motivation, yeah, that you, you were saying your motivation and the achievement and the recognition of that achievement, I guess. So, excellent stuff. Well, thank you very much uh, to Joel Trammell, CEO of Chorus Systems. Uh, we do need to book you in for another, another return match, Joel, so we can continue the conversation I think um, so thank you for joining us today and thank you to our listeners for listening to Engage for Success Radio um, don't forget you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time just visit engageforsuccess.org and if you want to get involved in the movement um, as a volunteer we are always looking for new volunteers get in touch at engage for info at engageforsuccess.org so thank you very much thank you Joel for joining us and thank you for listening bye bye Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.